Merry Christmas, and welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast's Festivus series for 2021. It's been a tough year, and that's why we're bringing you all of your Christmas favorite films. Things like Black Xmas from 2006. We did all the other ones. Home Alone, a holiday staple. Christmas Evil, because you can't get enough Evil Santas. And finally, Better Watch Out, because it's free and it's on Netflix. We hope you tune in all season long for these festive Yuletide goodies. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Doing pretty well. This is the final episode of Festivus 2021. We've come to the conclusion of our holiday season. By the time you listen to this, it's going to be Christmas Eve. Hopefully you'll have a, a nice, relaxing time. I'm trying to be, um, um, uh, what's her name from the radio? Um, Delilah. Delilah. Yeah. Hopefully you're settling down with some Twining's tea. And having a nice, relaxing Christmas Eve with your cat. This here's a big low tea house. <laughs> the brewing tea of the New York Yankees. <laughs> yeah, but we're doing so. So we've come to the conclusion, but we wanted to save the best for last. The film that I pretty much go to every single year. I can watch it multiple times a year. Uh, this year I did watch it multiple times a year. And it's one of those movies too that I can just throw on. I don't even really need to be paying attention. But I just... It's comforting to have it on in the background. It's Soul a, food. Exactly. It's a nostalgia thing. Um, I think pe- everybody has that to some degree. Everybody has some show or movie... Then you just put it on in the background, and it's like a comforting feeling of like, ah, yeah, this just feels right. And home, and home alone. Oh, I thought we were doing Rocky Four. Oh no, 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 sorry, no. That's Ro- the other. That's the other one that has me feeling nice and co- cozy at home in my bathrobe watching Rocky Four. Because Rocky fights uh, Drago on Christmas. Yeah, that's that's for another day when we talk about how how cozy I feel with Rocky Four. No, we're talking about Home Alone from 1989, my year of birth, your year of birth. It's from 90, bud. 90? Yes. I thought it was 1989. Nope, 90. Hmm. I've always felt it was 89, but I don't know. There it is right there. 1990. I thought it released in 89. No, that's uh, no, it's Christmas Vacation. That's why. Getting it confused with another John Hughes movie. Christmas Vacation was 89, Home Alone well, was 90. Well, when you see one John Hughes film, you've seen them all at this point. Well, that's the thing that we are going <laughs> to talk about, too, because we, you know, it is the the season of John Hughes, as I said in our last episode. You can't really get through the Thanksgiving to Christmas season without having one John Hughes movie involved. You, you, you've either got Planes, Trains, and Automobiles for Thanksgiving if you're a, a smart household, you're watching Dutch. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I said, um, stop po- lying. Possibly, stop, stop lying. To possibly, people. you've got Uncle Buck in there somewhere. 
um, because that does take place during the winter season. It's not necessarily during one particular holiday. Uh, and then you move on to the Christmas time where you have uh, Christmas Vacation written and directed by John Hughes from a short story, Christmas 59. Um, and then you've got Home Alone and Home Alone 2 as well if you – you know, if you're going to do a, a double feature of Home Alone movies, certainly not a triple feature. Home Alone three, no one's favorite movie. It's mine. <laughs> so how dare you? It's so it's so much my favorite for this podcast. I went out and bought all five films for a whopping on DVD for a th- whopping thirteen dollars, and uh, you feel every. <laughs> Every dollar. As I said, you're, you're not going to experience the true nature of Home Alone. You're, you're not seeing the level of detail that went into the settings in the, in the backdrops of Home Alone. The house that was really a gymnasium. Um, you're not seeing all of the Christmas decor that they threw in there. All of the red and green textures that are uh, peppered throughout the house. Because for me, Home Alone is the epitome of Christmas feeling because they did it on purpose. I've always like had from when I was a kid, I've had like this aspiration to be like, I want to have a house that transforms into Christmas like the Home Alone house where you literally just have everything is Christmas. You say, you know what? Get the painters in here. It's really bougie, I guess. Get the painters in here. We're painting it red and green. What do you mean? Oh, it's kind of. That whole street (laughs) is fucking bougie. Yeah. Suburbs of Chicago Chicago have never looked better. See, that's that's what I've always aspired to is I want the Home Alone house for Christmas. That's why when the fucking poor stiffs, you know, are coming to pick these assholes up in their fucking airport, you know, O'Hare airport van. They roll up to that house, and these assholes aren't even ready yet. No wonder why they're getting pissed off at the kid who's asking him a billion questions. Like, get the fuck out of here, kid, all right? I, I hate this place. I hate you bastards. Yeah, they're probably accustomed to being there multiple times. Like, ah, oh, we got to pick up those guys again. We got to pick up the McAllisters. Why do they always have 11 children at their house? Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Who wants that? Who sat down? And I understand. I, well, I barely understand family vacations, but wh- why the whole goddamn lot going together? Uncle Frank couldn't take his little shits and his wife, you know, on a separate flight out of Ohio. No, no, no. They had to drive up from Ohio to Chicago and then fly out. That's because Uncle Frank wouldn't have gotten first class if they hadn't come up to meet with them. And this is uh, this is a Christmas gift to Uncle Frank. It's getting yes. a first class flight. Yeah, stealing the real crystal, real crystal glasses. One of those people. Absolutely, because he's not as privileged as the McAllisters. Because he's he got to steal. Ohio. Yeah, yeah, right. Ohio. Exactly, because he lives in Ohio. He doesn't have the the privileged upbringing. Probably Cleveland. No one likes Cleveland. It's the mistake on the Malik. <laughs> Goulet. <laughs> but this, so this. This movie, you didn't watch it a ton when you were a kid. When you when you were growing up around Christmas time, this wasn't no. I've seen a this film. With, no, I've seen this film a thousand one times. Okay. Same thing with Home Alone two. Seen that a billion times. Had Talk Boy as a kid. Had Home Alone the Sega Genesis game. A lot of fun. Got to play at the traps and the houses and 
try to out you know outrun the wet bandits. Oh wow! Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hard as shit, but a lot of fun. No, I've seen <laughs> no, I've seen this movie a billion times, but I don't hold it to be like a. I don't put it on like this magical pedestal uh-huh. of a film. I do. There's better John Hughes films. There's better, there's better Christopher Columbus films. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. So one of the th- yeah, I think one of the things that we have to address is that John Hughes did not direct Home Alone, though it is. It tends to just take on the persona of a John Hughes film. Well, because it's got Chris Columbus, his like uh, the Toby Hooper of uh, Poltergeist. Pretty much, you know. he yeah he like I don't he just gets short shift with this um, for some reason. You know, it's it's not really seen as a Chris Columbus movie. It's seen as a John Hughes movie. And and true, John Hughes did write write it, and it has all of the stamps. Of a John Hughes it. movie. What'd you say? And he produced it, and he, too. Yep, and he produced it. it has, he probably was sitting there on set, like, it's like Columbus directing it, and he's like, no, no, that's not quite right. Coley, look at the camera like this. We're just like going to be like, Fer- you're going to be like, you know, Matthew, uh, you're going to be like Ferris Bueller, you know, look at the camera and say a witty line. Yeah, you know. This is fun. This is fun. I'm having fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has all of the makings of a John Hughes movie. Um, all of the little details that he includes in his movies. Um, this is, again, like the same as uh, something like Dutch, where there is a re- reconciliation with the mother. Um, you know, you have a redheaded woman that's the main focal point. You can take that from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Dutch, pretty much every fucking John Hughes movie that he's done. Um, and it so it has all the staples, but it really is directed by Chris Columbus. And I want to come back to your point about it's not being the, the best Chris Columbus movie uh, that he's directed. What, what would you say is is the best movie that Chris Columbus has directed? Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I thought you'd say that. Um. Either that or Bicentennial, man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare besmirch Robin Williams. And I definitely like I definitely know you love the Harry Potter movies. I've uh, never seen it. And that, first that, two. Yeah, that was actually a surprise when I was looking at his filmography. I'm like, oh! <laughs> the man directed the Harry Potter movies, yeah. Yep, first two. And then and it, he seems like he likes to adapt because he also directed the Percy Jackson movies. Also wrote Christmas with the Cranks. Yep. And produced it. Technically. Technically wrote that, but we have to give John Grisham some credit here. He stepped out of his wheelhouse of writing law movies or law uh, stories to write Christmas with the Cranks, which was originally not entitled Christmas with the Cranks. It was Skipping Christmas. But that's for a different podcast episode. We've already done that. Um, all right, let's take a break before we get into Home Alone too, too much. We've already gotten into it quite a bit, but before we get into it too much to talk about the drinks that we have on the show today, because we do have two, uh, it's a special occasion. It's right before the holidays. So of course we're drinking a lot. Helps you get through it. That's right. I think we'll start. The first one we'll start with is the unnamed alcohol that we have on the show. It's not a brand. 
It's a it's a a concoction that our friend has brewed up for us. And he likes to call it milk juice, which I don't really enjoy the, that name very much. <laughs> Doesn't make me f- excited to drink it. But it is a good drink. I just think that the name needs a rework. Milk juice does not sound too appealing. Why don't you tell us what's in milk juice? Well, let me pull up the... The ingredient list? Because there is a a number of ingredients here. Yeah, I don't know how he said he was uh, someone at his uh, occupation was talking about it. And he was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then he decided to make it. Um, the recipe that I found online is uh, done other by none other than your favorite uh, Food Network star, Alton Brown. Mm. And it's um, the recipe is clarified milk punch, which again is very uh, off-putting if you don't like the sound of like alcohol, like milk. You know. Yeah, I don't like them going together that much. I don't think of punch and milk in the same. In the same <laughs> uh, sentence, so. But it includes Earl Grey tea, sugar, ruby port wine, dark rum, not spiced, um, allspice dram, some lemon juice, and the recipe calls for whole milk, but our friend is a former dairy farmer, so he, um, he uses heavy cream top. And then kind of make it so what basically what he did was you make the allspice dram put it into your rum let it sit for like 10 days to get the f- nice flavor and then you put all this, the ruby port and the sugar and all that together and then the heavy cream top strain it through cheesecloth for a couple of hours and then your remains is your clarified milk punch and it's a holiday delight it tastes like I would when I had I'm not having it now because I don't think it pair well with the beer we're having today, so that's why I'm saving it. But I would compare it to the everything nice uh, strong golden ale that we had on the podcast at the start of Festivus, but instead of like more beery and ale-y, it's definitely much more liquidy and got a slighter more alcoholic taste to it. But it definitely has. A huge note of allspice, a hint of lemon. You definitely can taste, like, you know, the Earl Grey tea in there. Like, you know, nice bitterness. Um, it's delightful. I would say it's a perfect Christmas delight. Yeah, I like it. It's um, it's like a kind of like a Long Island iced tea, but it has a lot of allspice flavor to it. Uh, you definitely get the Earl Grey tea um, flavoring to it. And... Just a nice, warm, um, spicy, alcoholic drink. And, you know, this is one that you don't really need to, like, since the hard work has already been done for us, we don't need to really mix it or anything like that. It's not a mixed drink. Just pour it out and there you go. You got your nice little holiday beverage to enjoy and imbibe in. Um, I'm wondering how, it probably wouldn't go well, actually, because it's, technically milk punch and it has heavy cream but i was wondering you know could you like heat this up and like have it like a hot toddy sort of thing but i don't know that that would be no i'm sure you could 
You probably could. I'm just wondering Put if it cinnamon. would curdly be curdly. No, because it, no, it's all strained out. Yeah, that's true. It is that's why it's. It, that's why. I'm gonna say that's why it gets ran through the cheesecloth. All the cur- yeah, that's all been strained out. It's not gonna mm-hmm. curdle. I don't understand. I didn't really read into why the hell you mix it with dairy. Because mm-hmm. again, as soon as you mix like the alcohol and the fucking lemon, it's gonna fucking curdle right up, and you're gonna get you know. But you know, it works. It works. I don't know. I don't know who the hell thought of it, but uh. Someone thought of it, and it works pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that we have on the show today is one that I got for us um, a couple weeks ago, and um, it's a specialty that we've never had before. We've never had this brewery, uh, Drecker Brewing Company. Um, It's always one that I've wanted to try. I've seen it um, a number of times, and they always have some really cool-looking beers, Um, but they don't it's not really easily accessible here. Um, you have to kind of go looking for it because uh, they're from Fargo and we don't get a whole lot of their beers around here. Certainly not in any you know regular sto- convenience stores or anything. Um, but I did manage to find their uh, one of their Brains um, series of beers. This one – in the Brains series, they have a couple different um, – forms of the brain series there's the brain series really drawn out and then they have like the brain squeeze <laughs> series um the brain series <laughs> trying to really enunciate all those a's in it um brain. Yeah. that this series um is a double fruit smoothie sour whereas the brain squeeze is a single sa- a smoothie sour um now don't ask me because i'm not really into the chemistry of it i'm sure there's a reason why it's a double, it's considered a double fruit. I, I imagine it's just that they add a whole lot more fruit to it um, and, you know, like kind of do it again, brew it again. But um, in this case, it is the blueberry lemon brains um, double fruit smoothie sour. They make a whole bunch of different ones, different flavors and stuff. Um, in this case, it's bl- blueberry and lemon. And I think it's really, really good. This is uh, a really solid sour beer for me. Um, if you've, we've had a couple sours on, I think not, not a whole lot, but we do do sours sometimes. And a lot of times I find sours to have a very samey taste overall. Um, no matter what kind of fruit you're brewing with it. So like, as long as you're using some sort of like, um, stone fruit or something like that, they all kind of tend to turn out very samey tasting where it's hard to pick out exactly what fruit went into that. Um, the blueberry and lemon is really distinct. You can, you can easily make out like, Oh yeah, there's blueberry and lemon in this beer. It's not like they meld together into like one sort of soury taste. Um, very distinctive. Uh, it's a very thick and hearty beer. Um, the smoothiness to it really comes out. And overall, it just has a really easy drinkability to it that I think is probably one of the most impressive uh, smoothie beers that I've ever had. Um, I've had a couple that have really blown me away. This is one. Um, I've had another one that was like a strawberry smoothie. But I think that Drecker has done a really, really great job with the Brains Blueberry Lemon. And I recommend trying to find it if you can. 
Yeah, this is uh, a very impressive uh, sour. Um, you definitely get a nice big hit of blueberry at first, and then it cinches up with like the nice lemon tartness. It's uh, smooth, has a really good mouthfeel, like you know, like almost kind of milkshakey. Um, I haven't poured it out, but I imagine it'd be kind of one of those like more like on the thicker side looking beers. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, it's not incredibly like you get a you do get a sourness from the lemon and the blueberry, but it's not like it goes where it's like overwhelmingly like you know like tart. It's like a perfect balance. So if you're somebody who's more not really into gozes because they make your you know mouth pucker up, this is like a nice like blueberry lemonade style beer that works really well. Is very good, um, and after looking at Untapped with all the different variations that they have of like this, and I imagine the you know the more gozy style, I would be very intrigued to try more of them because it's a great concept and it's great to see that they kind of ran with it. And I hope if we do have more of these, that you know they are of this high quality. This is very good. I would definitely highly recommend this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hard to find. Somewhat expensive, but definitely worth it if you do find it. And I, I've got to go and get more Drecker um, beers in this series. They're, they are extremely good. Well, hard to find for us. They may be easy to find for some folk. Yep, that's true. Somewhere else. But around here, we don't get too many Fargo beers. <laughs> eh. Ooh. All right, so back to Home Alone. Like I said, this is one of my favorite holiday movies. I love Home Alone. It has a lot of scenes that I can just, you know, pick out and quote from. I And actually in my day-to-day life, I tend to use some various phrases from Home Alone, just sprinkle them in every now and then just because. Like what? What do you, what do, you do? Um, well, sometimes I will, you know, the, the, the guy in the, uh, convenience store when he's shopping for a toothbrush he brings it up. He's like, is this, uh, approved by the, uh, Amer- wow, the American you, you, uh, dental association? Wow. You know what? You remember that line so well that you fucking stumbled through the entire thing. <laughs> and, uh, the lady calls Herb over, Herb comes over and she says, is this approved? He wants to know, is this approved by the American Dental Association? And he just stands there kind of flabbergasted and he's like, I I, I don't know. It's it's so it's such a like a mundane thing, but I always do that sort of delivery because I love that so much. I love that guy. I love Herb. He has like two minutes, not even two minutes. He has like one <laughs> minute on screen, but I love Herb in this movie. What an awful, awful store that is. Some mom and pop so- asshole store, and these people—they don't even know what the hell's going on. It's like um a five and dime, yeah. Like it brings to me memories of going into the five and dime and thinking like I don't want any of this shit. It's all shit. Who wants a five cent toy from the five and dime? Well, listen, you. 
people out there don't know, but we're home to, in our area, the oldest five and dime that's still operating in America. That is true. That's what that story reminds me of. I've never been in there because if it's a five and a dime, then you know it ain't fucking worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's what that store. It definitely reminds <laughs> me of like a five and dime type store where you go in, and you can find like a, all kinds of miscellaneous in there. Like you can get your toothbrush there, and you can also get wrapping paper, and you can find this fudge, get old, some fudge. you know, old this fifty cent pop gun find all uh, oh it probably you know what they probably have too is like the the pop rocks you got pop rocks in there they probably still carry candy cigarettes been out long yeah. you know for yeah. like 15 yep. years now go get yourself back candy cigarettes kid okay yeah i don't really think we need to summarize home alone too much i feel like by at this point everyone knows what home alone is and the I basic don't know. beats I, I don't know it's a it's thirty years old now. There's probably a lot of people out there who haven't, uh, who are now like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, so the basic beats are the, uh, the uh, a bunch of rich white folks are getting ready, <laughs> prepared to leave for France, and their whole neighborhood has also left for some fucking country for their Christmas vacation. So there's literally no one in their suburban cul-de-sac that's left on during the holidays well let's kind of break it down though first part well no the McAllisters, you know are rich because they're they're going out of country everyone else is going to florida true they're all going to disney World. well they go to florida next year so awful i would do that <laughs> I would never go to Florida for the holidays. I would never go to anywhere like warm for the holidays because it just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be wouldn't be Christmas, Christmas. with a warm, warm uh, eighty degree day. But I know some people who would. They choose to go and get out of the the cold, but not me. I would definitely not. Um. Well, that you know they're rich from that. You know they're rich from their house right away. They have a fucking brownstone that's you know like. Looks like royalty live there <laughs> in the neighborhood. They uh, have – oh, and the one – another thing is you know that this neighborhood is rich because everybody in 1990 has their lights on a timer. Like that was <laughs> unheard of back then. People were not putting their lights on timers. They were trusting in themselves to remember before they go to bed, I got to flip that switch. I gotta unplug those lights outside. I don't. I, so I don't understand. When, like uh, they're asking, like, what kind of like home like defense do you have? And he's like, oh, my lights are on a timer. Home defense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. We, like, uh, we got locks on the doors. We got the lights on a timer. But this is about everything you can do, right? You know what? I think after this film, that's how like all the security Tron like systems came up. Like people are like, like you know, we can. There's a market out there. We we just, you know. People think home security is lights on a timer. And locks. Well, you're wrong. Clearly, they didn't work very well. Because <laughs> the most bumbling criminals in enterprise in the neighborhood can storm in and, and make it in their house. So it doesn't and work I, very well. And you know what? I don't buy a fucking cul-de-sac in part of the suburb that nice. There's not like cops constantly patrolling the area. Well, they probably 
You mean to tell me, like, the wet bandits are just roaming about in their fucking old boy plumbing van? And there's not, like, a cop in sight to be like, oh, you know, let's check on this. Well, you know what? Maybe they're so sick of uh, dealing with the snootiness of this neighborhood that they're 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 foregoing going to that place. They're they're skipping it entirely. They're like, well, you know maybe, what? They get what they get. Well, maybe they didn't they were, buy any of our calendars this year. Well, maybe they're doing some broken glass policing. You know? Yeah, I think that I think that that's what it is. They just they don't even want to be called to the neighborhood. They're skipping it entirely. So, yeah. So, we got a little off track there. So, yeah. They go on a vacation. These parents are shitheads. They forget one of their children because he's a shithead. They're all shitheads. Everyone in this film outside of John Candy's a shithead. How about and, Pete? And, uh, Pete, say, oh, Pete from oh, Pete and Pete. Oh, and old man Morley. They're all shitheads. And then uh, they learn the meaning of Christmas. There's some Carol of the Bells, and at the end, everyone gets the happy ending. Oh, wow. You really summed it up there. Well, that's there you go. So the problem is that Kevin is – well, I wouldn't call him a shithead, but he is a snarky little bastard. They all are. He's, he's they, every, every single one of these – Members of the McAllister family is an asshole in their own little way. Yeah, they have their own little snarkiness that's part of the script. And, and <laughs> they all get their kind of like, you know, their their moment to shine at the beginning of the movie. Uh, when there's like the revolving door of kids just keep coming around through the house, uh, traipsing through, seeing the cops, <laughs> and, you know, not basically Which- ignoring the co- ignoring Joe Pesci as the cop there. Which that's like the best part. They got a fucking like Chicago police officer standing in the fucking mud. What would you call that in that opulent fucking bourgeois mansion? What would that like that open- entryway? Yeah, the foyer or the foyer if you're French or trying to be you know dainty. <laughs> I would call it a foyer though. Oh, my bad for forgetting. What a four year was. I definitely, I certainly wouldn't just, call it a mud room. I know, that's what I was saying. It's like, well, we're you know. We're mudding around in here. We're tromping around. We've got that mud going on. <laughs> I was going to say, because, you know, mud room is the little room that you got before you enter the house, like, you know, for us poor folk. They got a four Yeah. So he's standing there. Kids are running around. Fucking, he's like, where's your parents? And they're like, oh, they're not here. They're not, blah, blah, blah. And he's just sitting there. No one blinks, like, there's a fucking police officer in our house. What the hell does the cop want? No one's asking, like, what the hell he's doing there. Like, you know, it's not like cop. Who let him in? We see him already in the house. Who let Joe Pesci in? Who was like, oh, yeah, come in, officer, and then ran off. Like, he just came in. Just he like... just waltzed right in. Like, oh, you know. Then they're all fucking running around still. And then you got this asshole who's for fucking little Nero's pizza. Fucking driving like an asshole with his fucking windows barely, you know, defogged. Hits their fucking, like, silver statue out front. He comes in with, like, 12 pizzas. He's bitching because, like, who's going to pay for pizza? (laughs) You know? And then these assholes keep running around the house like, oh, there's a cop and the pizza guy here. Oh, hey, it's $122 for the pizza. Oh, yeah. And fucking... 
Kevin's dad just grabs the pizzas and take them all. He takes them all to the kitchen and he's like, and they start sitting down and eating. And he's still, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, honey, pizza still got to get paid for. Pizza boy still sitting out can there. You, can you imagine being the pizza boy and just sitting there for literally like forty minutes while they he's eat being, the pizza? Yeah. No, I, no, I definitely would never be doing that. Jesus Christ! Like, just so fucking. It's just like again, Hell Incorporated. So, like, you, I, so you I, were I, offended for the pizza boy, the little little Nero's guy, who just well, has no, to sit there and be the brunt of their. I was a yes, but he's also a little douchebag too. Because again, he, you know, his car. You know what he pre- he prefaces Rob Schneider in Home Alone too because he counts the tips and he goes, "Nice tip, thanks a lot." Mm-hmm. Rob Schneider in Home Alone two gets told, "Don't count your tips." <laughs> In public. Yeah, I feel bad for Joe Pesci on all of that because he's just like, you know. I mean, even if he wasn't like a criminal, you're like, he's he's a cop just just sitting there. He's just impersonating a cop, waiting an hour to speak to somebody. I mean, you gotta (laughs) feel bad for him. You just gotta. Listen, I sense the sarcasm in your voice, and you're wrong. Pesci deserves. You know what? They deserve to rob that house the way they acted. <laughs> well, you know like what? A bun- like a bunch Joe of Pesci goddamn probably could have gotten away with robbing it right there. He didn't even need to wait for them to go to no, Paris. No, because they're all oblivious. Just, you know what? I think I'll just <laughs> go through and, and I'll steal that VCR. And, I'll and you know <laughs> what? These little shitheads—they don't even have the excuse of like modern day where like they're all on their phone, just walking around on their phone. No, they're running around with their head on fire for who and for what? Nothing. Just like, <laughs> they're excited for Paris. Oh, no, not not a single one of them is excited for Paris. They're all, yeah, we got to go to Paris. Well, Buzz is. He wants to know if uh, he's going to see some any, any naked ladies on beaches and whether they shave their pits. Now, I do like that opening scene, though. You think it's crazy. You think it's nuts that they would want to take a huge family vacation like that. I tend to think that it would be kind of fun. Uh, especially wow. if you liked your family. Apparently, well, you know, you, you have a family where, you know, you don't like them, so you wouldn't want to take an extended family vacation, but you don't like family in general. No. Well, so. I, I, listen, I mean, again, 11's too much. Mm. That's way too much. Agreed with that. I mean, obviously, it's chaos in there. So. They can't handle it. And <laughs> 11 clearly is too much because they leave one of them at home alone twice. So it's too much. You You have too many kids at that point. You cannot responsibly keep track of them all i like again i like the scene but again like it when you think about it it's just fucking ridiculous it's just everyone's an asshole everyone's an asshole yeah but do you feel more enamored towards uncle frank because that is kind of like you no because he's a douchebag (laughs) okay I was just wondering if you felt oh. more like Uncle Frank in this scenario. No, I relate to John Candy in this film. That's oh, okay. Poker King of the Midwest. But no, it is it is a nice little opening, but again, it's like just like, holy hell. I can't imagine. I like I just sit there and I have in my head like, oh my God, if I was ever asked like, hey, you want to go on a vacation with like 12 members of your family? I'd be like, absolutely not. No, that sounds awful. What if, what if they paid for first class and you got free champagne? Doesn't matter. No, because what am I going to do with champagne? Nothing. I didn't drink it. <laughs> You're not even fancy enough for that. No. Uh, that would be me, though. That would be me as Uncle Frank on the plane. Like, uh, take some champagne. It's free, right? You got to make sure first. You can't. Yeah, just... you'd be like, uh, yeah. Uh, you... uh, 
You can't you can't just, you know, assume, you know, like it's free, right? And then you'd when they that, say it's free, like keep it coming. You'd be that asshole like him though too though, when like, oh the kids miss you, like, yeah, well I forgot my reader, so Honestly <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's gonna be a long flight. Yeah. Woo! Honestly, I do love that where he comes up and he's just like, Oh yeah, I, I know how you feel. I forgot my reading class. So also that we get a lot, especially from the first like twenty minutes of this film. A lot of fucking product placement that you wouldn't see today because it was like, oh, look at American Airlines. What a fucking clusterfuck that is. Come to American Airlines. You won't get a ticket in time. We'll be rude to you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Have a Pepsi. Makes our kids piss their pants at night. That is that's true. Why su- that's why I'm it's surprised not- that they didn't pull like, you know, with like uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why is it Little Nero's? I'm surprised not fucking Pizza Hut come flying up. <laughs> Get your stuffed crust pizza. Yeah, you're right. They do. They don't have like a shining example, like shining advertisements of these products. They, you know, they... which is funny because like in old films like that, that kind of shit flies. But today, like absolutely not. You wouldn't be able to be like, no, yeah, you know, you're in fucking scrape and trying to get on American Airlines on Christmas Eve. Sorry, you fuck, you know. Right, yeah, you can't have you can't have the brand be be besmirched. Uh, yeah, exactly. They they would have to show it in such a a nice light, like oh, you know, like that other you know third rate airline wasn't going to get you on a flight. Hey, guess what? American Airlines, we can get you on one. We'll get you on one right now. You know what? Especially, maybe- especially if you're like, like they're like, oh, we're all booked. And you're like, I got five hundred dollars to be like, I could write this way. We, <laughs> we found an opening for you. Come right along. You know, that's what I find like amazing too. Like, fucking ca- poor Catherine O'Hare is like sitting there trying to, you know, flag like tickets down, and like if she's waving that wad of money around, somebody would have been like, no, you could go right ahead. There's no way in hell if she's like waving that kind of money, people would have been like, listen, lady. No means no. Here's a question. Do you think the older uh, couple actually took all the stuff that she was offering to them after they said, oh, it's Christmas? Yes. You think they did? Did you see, did you see the lust oh, in that woman's she, eyes? She certainly did she, want that she, that calculator. Yeah, she wanted – it was no, it was a translator. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah tra- the translator. Translator. She certainly did want that translator. The, the husband just wanted to go home. He wasn't uh, standing for That's another shit. thing that I quote all the time though is <laughs> – when he says, she has earrings at home, little dangly ones. I love that guy. He shows up quite a bit in, like, little bit parts. He's in Seinfeld, too, a couple times. Yeah, he shows up, like, in, as being, like, the crotchety old man type thing. I love it. I quote that quite a bit, too. Yeah. For no reason. Like, I'll just pull that out at some point. Just to, just to say it. It's a great one. It's a great scene. How do you uh, how do you enjoy the um, the scene where Catherine O'Hara uh, recognizes that they are missing something, and she you know she does her scream her iconic Kevin. Oh, I thought you were gonna say about the the, the brilliant John Hurd just trying to get her to shut up and being like, you know what, it was that's the garage. it, it's the garage. <laughs> <laughs> like you can tell too, like he's not that he's saying. Like, oh, it's, you know, I left the garage open. He's literally just, like, saying, like, yeah, you're right. It's the garage we didn't close. Just to, just to appease her? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, yep, you got it. You're psychic. <laughs> I just love how disinterested he is, though. Just, like, throughout the entire thing. Like, yeah, like, you know, 
He just doesn't give a shit about even, like, you know. Even when he returns home, yeah, he's like, Kevin, how you doing? Kevin, we my boy, how are you? Yeah, we yeah. love you. Yeah, all right, you were fine. Thanks. You you got the you got the fabric softener. Great job. Mm-hmm. Thanks for ruining fucking vacation, you little shit. That is true. They spent thousands of dollars on this vacation that they just had to then turn around and shoot back home. But that's how you know they're rich because it's like, eh. yeah, yeah, that's true. They get home, they're like, eh, we'll do it again next. You know what? Next better week, luck next. Better luck next year. Well, next week, let's try it again. We'll hit Paris up, no problem. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> they're not even phased. I mean, I guess I probably would be more interested in getting home to my my son. But then after that, after that, you you, you sit them down and be like. You know, you really cost us an arm and a leg here, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, blame the, you know what? It's the it's fucking Catherine O'Hara's fault because she fucking threw the little you know him up in the third floor. Oh yeah, you're gonna sleep up in the third floor, so no one's gonna know where you are. So, what do you think of? the scene with John Candy because it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie when John Candy comes in. It's noted that he pretty much just came in for like one day of shooting. They're like, John Candy, you want to be in, in the film? He's like, yeah, you think sure. he ad-libbed all that? Yeah, he did. He did ad-lib a lot of it. One of my favorites is when he's telling the story about how they left his chi- his kid in the funeral parlor. <laughs> Said, Because it, it's, gr- it's a great delivery too. It's a really thought out delivery of the way that he like tells the story and leaves certain parts of it towards the end so that they keep coming and surprising you. So he's like, yep, we left him in the funeral parlor all day and we were really distraught about it. Yep. With a corpse. And then it keeps going. He's like, yeah, yeah, he was fine. Well, the best, the best part of that whole thing is when Catherine O'Hara is like, can you please stop? He's like, what? You're the one that asked. Yeah. You're the one that, you're the one that brought it up. She's like, I wish I had it. Yeah. It's it's a great moment. It, It definitely feels like two comedy uh, actors ad-libbing that scene out uh, instead of like something it is it is you know it's organic it doesn't really feel like it was written to to do that which I think is a really great part of that but yeah I love it when he talks about the kid in the funeral parlor and he was fine after a few weeks came six, around seven, started six, six seven weeks came eight, around started talking again that's <laughs> yeah, great it's a great moment. But no, he he is really. Good. I mean, the whole like poke king of the Midwest. You know, it was just like just keeps going because he's about this song. Because <laughs> he's like, well, you're from Chicago. You should know who I am. Poke king of the Midwest. Had a couple of hits back in the seventies. You know, poke poke. Uh. Who who's you wanna who's you wanna poke? <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's, that was a hit in Chicago. No, no, Sheboygan, Sheboygan, <laughs> very big in Sheboygan. Yeah, I think he's great. He is really like a shining light when you get to that that part of the movie where you have John Candy there. It's it just elevates things even more. I mean, Macaulay Culkin is really good in this movie too. He's for such a, a little tyke, he does a really good job with emotion and <clears throat> interaction. Um the like the kind of uh attitude that he brings to the role. Um I think really makes home alone successful because if you had a different child actor that couldn't uh, um 
accomplish some of like the spunkiness that Kevin has, it Home Alone just would not be successful. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't match the tone that we get from this movie. I don't like think about like what if Jonathan Taylor Thomas was Kevin? Do you think that would have been as <laughs> as exciting? I think that Macaulay Culkin does bring a lot to the movie. He has a lot of great um like facial reactions. Um he just does a lot of the work. And th- for a long time in this movie, he is the sole focal point. I mean, he 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 is in charge of most of the um the movie's scenes. So you need him to be able to carry the film and he does. Um no, I think he I definitely do think he's very good. Um the only negative and I agree with what you po- brought up. The only negative I would make is like he's too Matthew Matthew Broderickry Matthew Broderickry like you know like he's playing like a, a elementary school version of Ferris like you know how some of the times like he's looking at the camera and being like you know this is my house and I'm going to protect it and mm-hmm. then you're just expecting like I mean, I think he just does a really good job with it. There's like even the scene where he's in the grocery store with the nosiest cashier that has ever worked <laughs> at a grocery store. And, uh, you know, he has to pretend like he's not there alone. He does a really great job in that interaction. Um, and he doesn't even really have that much no. to play off of with Sally, no, the cashier. How- Dare you? Her and like every other extra in this film that has like hyper fucking Chicago <laughs> accents is like act, like great. Like, what are you doing here, kid? Where's your pants? Where's your pants? Where you live? Yeah, she does have a really hyper. Uh, they all do Chicago though. Like accent. everyone like does. Like Officer Balzac. Yes, love <laughs> Officer Balzac. I love. That's that one part. It's just it's a, another stupid detail, but when the donut falls on the phone, I love it. I don't know why it just stands out to me as a stupid detail that I notice so much uh, when I watch the movie. But I do love that exchange in the police department where they're like, "I don't know, she sounds kind of hyper, hyper on two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. All right, all right. We'll send a police officer to your home to check on your son. Like they can't even be bothered to do do their jobs on a uh, Christmas Eve. I love it. Well, I mean, I mean, it is ridiculous. I'm calling from Paris, and my son's home alone. Uh, what the fuck do you want us to do? Not only that, that whole that whole bit's funny, but it's like what a what a bitch they are. Like you know. At least, like, at first, like, Catherine O'Hare is, you know, pretty smart. Like, here's my address book. You call, like, all these people and see if they're home. And then she just kicks some poor French woman off the phone. Like, eh, you know. Love it. I love when she does it's, that. She's like, she'll have to call you back. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny. But, I mean, it's still at the same time, like, you know, I'm surprised, like, the police aren't, like, cut, like French TSA coming over. Like, you know, like, you, what are you doing? You fucking American kicking, you know, this woman off her phone. That was an expensive call. I'm sure it was. Long distance. Oh, do you think they use one eight hundred collect? I don't know. Hopefully, they paid her back. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the police officer who responds too also has a pretty strong accent. She's like, 
there's no one here. The house is secure. Tell them to check their kids again. <laughs> Actually, it kind of sounds like Frohmeyer from uh, Christmas with the Cranks. How uh, um, Dan Aykroyd does his accent there. Well, Aykroyd's Canadian, so no, I know, his, but his it, accent is like a, an amalgamation of like all that. But so is Catherine O'Hara. She's Canadian too. So like you, her Canadian kind of pops out a little bit every now and then too. So what do you think of the um, overall like stunts and effects in the movie and, and the, the traps that Kevin sets in the first Home Alone? Because those really like became the epitome of doing stunts for movies like this where everybody wanted like the falls, the trips, the, you know, the exaggerated falls on their back that Home Alone provides in this movie. Um, what, do you, what do you think about those? It's good. Um, one thing, I mean, even though I've seen this film a billion times, I haven't seen it in quite a few years, and I kept track of like when the actual invasion begins and like the defense of the house. It's only the last like twenty five minutes of the film. It feels like in in nostalgia land, like oh, it's a much bigger portion of the film, and mm-hmm. it's not. You know, I think Home Alone two actually is like a little, a lot lo- more extended. Like you know, they kind of. Ran with it, so I was kind of, kind of surprised to see how kind of uh, tight all of that action at the end is. Um, but I think it's really good. Um, it's kind of inspired that you know Joe Pesci's in this film, because especially at the time Joe Pesci isn't you know, is it known for his comedic roles? You know. Yeah, absolutely good, not. Yeah. F- you know, filming Goodfellas at the same you know at this time. Just imagine though they asked they asked Robert De Niro and then John Lovitz to be Joe Pesci's role. We could have had this film with John fucking Lovitz. Just imagine John Lovitz like running. Yeah, that would have been extremely <laughs> annoying. To honestly, no, it would have been great. Like him, like wow, Kevin, you <laughs> naughty boy. Oh you know? uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Joe Pesci does a really good job, and I've always been a um, a fan of uh, how the interactions between the two guys are in this movie. They're really on with each other. They have a good rapport, and I think it works really well. I think um, Daniel Stern is really uh, a good actor playing a really dumb character and he does it really well um and then they they really sell like the the ending there with with the traps um being painful but also not to the point where like you're expecting them to be dead um which is the key to home alone you know it is a kid's movie these traps would generally kill people (laughs) well again like i said i was telling you i want the film where when they both slip down the stairs on the ice and the film just like ends there like they're dead and then they come back from paris and police are there like yeah we're gonna you're getting sued for uh aren't you salting your stairs you know Mm -hmm. oh well there's we were out in paris well you know what these two delivery men died (laughs) yeah yeah right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then Home Alone 2 is the court battle. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It, it should end with yeah that, that scene happening. <laughs> then they all arrive home. Like they're they're looking for Kevin. They all arrive home, and the police are there, and they're confronted right at the door. And like, um, we have some news for you. Your son killed two men tonight. <laughs> 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 he was rightfully protecting the household, but went a little overboard on his <laughs> on his traps. Didn't didn't realize the consequences of them all. Yeah, the castle doctrine's a little out of place here. He, you know, he had them on the run, but he started chasing them with those shears. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they ran away, he should have given up the the, the game, but he didn't. Now I think some of the tra- some of the traps are nice. Like you know, the ice on the steps is simple but great. The shooting them with a the BB gun—that's awesome. Tar, I'm a little confused by the tar, just because how would he know at eight years old what the fuck tar does? I don't know. I guess he's accustomed to it. I don't know. Well, because again, this bourgeois family, you know, fucking his dad's running around tar. I absolutely not. That shit gets hired out. The blowtorch is definitely, uh, a killer. <laughs> Should have been dead. Um, oh shit. Um, that's, that's how old school this movie is. The ornaments are actually made out of glass, so stepping on them would do some damage. Like, who's got, like, glass ornaments these days? I feel like even stepping on the sugar ones would probably have done, would probably have hurt. You know, like, uh. Yeah, but those are, those are, like, authentic baubles. Like, you know, you, like. Terrorizing poor Marv's feet. Yep. Um, I you know the one I don't get is the tar and oh the feathering. I don't really understand. I didn't really slow him down. Just pissed him off. And then not bringing the BB gun with him on the escape. You know that was kind of foolish. He could have he could have swung across that rope with the BB gun on his shoulder. That is true. He could have, but... And then, as we know from Better Watch Out, the first Better Watch Out we did, um, Pain Can would have killed him. That is true. Would have killed him. Yeah, I think the, the traps are good. I think the... um, They're a little bit less um detailed than what we get in Home Alone 2. You know, these are more consistently like what a... I mean, they're still really intricate for an eight-year-old, but they're less detailed than some of the stuff that Home Alone 2 does because that needed to up the ante a little bit. Because Since they're pretty much the same storyline entirely with a different setting, they just needed to have... It's like kind of like Saw. Saw for, it's, it's, for it's Home beat Alone. For, it's beat for beat the same film, but just yeah, the, Tim Curry and Rob Schneider happen to be there. You're right. But I think they I did will... a good job with this one. You know, to be a little bit less um, overly exaggerated. Now, what what do you think of the whole wet bandits shtick? Of uh, where Daniel Stern turns on the faucet and lets it run while he um, blocks the drain? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's pretty much just his shtick. Joe Pesci doesn't really seem to go along with it. He actually calls him sick for it. 
Well, um, he's well, you know what? He's his partner. That's true. That, it's, he's know. aiding and abetting anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is it's a, it is funny because it's a pretty ridiculous stunt that just it, it is sort of demented in that you're like, it's not enough that I just steal from these people's houses. I actually like, have to ruin their house. Well, they already do that. When we see them rob the one little shit's house, um, his family's house, they're like smashing everything as they're gathering it. They're not doing it like nice and quietly. Like they're smashing everything. And it's like, you know what? We've already destroyed your house. How about let's add water damage to the bill, too? Yeah, I like that, you rich fuck. Right, and I think that, like, even Joe Pesci brings that up, too. He's like, you are you know what, Marv? You're the wood's greatest cat burglar. Because he's, like, smashing literally everything around. Um, yeah. I'm also amazed in that scene. What the fuck was that that Joe Pesci's looking through? I don't know. A little periscope thing that he's got. Yeah, it's like a kaleidoscope. Yeah, no, it is, but I mean, like, again, it's 1990. Who's getting these, like, fucking Dickens-style, like, kaleidoscopes as, like, Christmas gift? I know, I like that they're so enamored by it. He's so enamored by it, too. He's like, wow, think, it's kaleidoscope. Made of, like, it's, like, made out of pure, like, brass. You yeah. Know? This is great. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the wet bandit thing is kind of demented, but, you know. Come home. Oh, shit. Not only has my <laughs> yeah. house been burglarized, I know, and you, it's flooding, too. You you have to <laughs> kind of think about the aftermath of this, too, because, yeah, they get arrested, but all these people are out of town. They don't know. They're going to come home, like, maybe for Christmas, a little bit after Christmas. They've had such a great Christmas. They come home. Fuck, my house is burglarized and flooded, and no, no one notified me. They're going to have a bad... Bad New Year's. But not only that, Kevin, like, destroyed half the, the McAllister mansion, and yet somehow he, this little shit's able to clean it up? Like, how did he clean up all those fe- There's no way he cleaned up all those feathers on his own. Well, you and know not what? He, only missed, that, he missed the gold tooth, so he didn't and, clean up everything. Not only that, what about his mac and cheese that he microwaved? That nice craft mac- microwave. That's what I always come back cheese. to, too. The poor man, he was, he was going to try it. He wanted to try the microwave mac and cheese, didn't know what it was going to be like, and then never gets to try it. Did he, like, after he's, like, stepping under, like, cold, dead bodies, is he like, mmm, that's some good mac and cheese. See, this is why he did The Good Son right after this, because it's basically the same film, but he actually kills people and dogs and shit. <laughs> because he's a psycho. It's true. What do you think of the nice John Williams, I'm just doing a Steven Spielberg score? It's very whimsical, but it has the Christmas spirit to it. Um, the Carol of the Bells that he does, um, more so in Home Alone 2, but Carol of the Bells that he does is, uh, is a great one. I really like it. Um, has a lot of intensity to it, which I think the film needs. And, um. I think it does a good job with the with the score for the most part. It's it's kind of got a combination. It's got a combination of you know general Christmas songs. You know Brenda Lee's "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree" is a pretty iconic moment. Um, but at the same time, it has a score to it too that kind of soars, and I I think it does a good job with with what it's tasked with. Um, it's very iconic to say the least. What do you think? It's good, but it's, it, it reminds me too much of Spielberg whimsy. 
Well, the like, film I, is kind of whimsical in, at times. No, it is. It is. It's it's too Spielbergian at points. Like John Hughes goes Spielberg. Mm. Like I'm just like thinking. I just that's kind of part of like. I guess now that I'm older, like a little bit of like that kind of takes the tinge away from this film because all when I watch it in my head, all I can think of is that fucking Twilight Zone bit that Spielberg did. Like, look how whimsy it is. Yeah. It's so fucking whimsical. This is kind of like the same, too. Like, again, John Williams is a terrific, you know, master scorer of films. However, at the same point, he does... In if you hit a certain wheelhouse for like okay what type of film this is it does you know become a little too over the top whimsical in that disgustingly Spielbergian way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. All right, so <clears throat> let's rate Home Alone. So on a scale of cops who don't give a shit about ticketing, you know, drivers, but do care about 50 cent toothbrushes being stolen from a <laughs> we, store. You know what? We know. You know what? We didn't even talk about that. So that's a fucking great part. When and we oh, we didn't even talk about Morley, the old man Morley. Yeah. Um Yeah, that I love I I love old man Morley. I love like the little backstory that they create, you know, for why people don't, you know, like are afraid of him. <clears throat> I think it's well done. Um, I really do like the church scene with him and actually and Kevin when, like, you know, he actually, you know, was like, you don't have to be afraid of me, you know. Yeah, it's great but because I, he doesn't really know how to talk to kids that well, but it still still works. Yeah. And I think, too, like, the banter they have is, you know, pretty good. Like, as he's giving Kevin good advice, Kevin's giving him good advice back because we find out that, you know, he's distant from his son because they've gotten into a fight and, you know, he hasn't talked to him in years and his granddaughters, you know, one of the singers in the choir at the church. And that's kind of the only way he gets to see her. You know, I, I like that bit. That's, you know, that's a really good bit and really well yeah, done. It's emotional. It's got an emotional at the end where you have the scene where they reconcile with the, mm. with his son and he gets to see his granddaughter. Ooh, chills. Yeah, it's great. But again, another bourgeois family because his fucking papa's coming in a nice dress pea coat scarf and like <laughs> OJ gloves, like you know. Like, yeah, and she's got her like little nice, uh, fancy dress on. But yeah, you know, that's a. I really, I, I do like that. That's a good bit. Um, <laughs> the only thing though I can think of every time I see him though is just from fucking Christine. Like the only thing better than Christine's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, no wonder why people think you're a creep. Um, and what the hell else? Yeah, just the. Oh, the, oh no, 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 yeah, yeah, and the fucking uh, shoplifting bet. That when he's when he walks out and because he gets scared and they're like, "Son, you gotta pay for that, son." And you're right; it's like a fifty cent toothbrush. Runs out and they're like yelling to the teenager, like, Shh, "Get him!" And then like he like runs for a little bit and then as like as you said the cops like giving a ticket to somebody for what well, I don't know and he's like shoplifter and then this poor fat cop's got to chase this little <laughs> shit down on ice and and as they're running on the ice all these people are skating and not only that Kevin's sliding around and like underneath these people who are swinging their legs very violently 
he could have gotten like his he- beheaded by like a mistrone ice skate, and that would have been the end of the film. Well, that's what happens when you leave your kids home alone. Get decapitated right. by an ice skate. Should have been paying more attention. Yeah, so so on a scale of a cop who ditches the ticket to go catch a shoplifter, what would you give? <clears throat> give it an eight and a half. I think it's a very good film. It is a holiday classic. It stands the test of time. Um, even though I say everyone's an unlikable asshole in this film, everyone is well acted. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, as you said, is um, very good in this, you know. A top-notch child acting performance. Uh, Catherine O'Hara is a delight, as she always is. Really funny, really expressive, really emotive. Um, John Hurd's great as being like kind of just disinterested. Uncle Frank's, you know, good, you know, and just being a douchebag. John Candy's great. Joe Pesci is great. He, you know, really. Choose the scenery when he's in it, and he's real good. And Dan- so is Daniel Stern. The acting's really good. The plot—it's a die-hard for kids. It works. Uh, it's got the right amount of like Spielbergian and Hughes like whimsy. Um, the Christmas adds another little layer to it. The score is great. Again, it is kind of nauseating at points in like the whimsical area, but. It's it's a classic for a reason. It's very well done. And it's definitely something that you should show if you have kids that have never seen it. You should watch it. And experience it like I did this time around. On a DVD that was basically in like 360p and had like the film print like rotting away. Like you were <laughs> watching a VHS like you got it back in 92. Yeah, I would give this a nine out of ten. I this is one of my my favorite holiday movies. Um, it's, I think it's solid all around. It has a great plot uh, that's fun to watch. Um, it goes through the the motions of uh, basically the Home Alone element. Um, you know, having fun by yourself as a kid, and then bridging into the more diehard elements with great traps and um, an excellent portrayal of. The criminal element by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Um, Macaulay Culkin is great here. He has great facial features that um, kind of do a lot of selling in this movie. Um, Catherine O'Hara is also really, really good. She she gets a lot of screen time as well. Um, and I think probably <coughs> she gets more so in um, Home Alone 2. But, but here she does, um, you know, have a great moment with John Candy that I think makes a lot of the film. Um, and, and overall it's just a really, really fun movie that you can easily quote. Um, and you know, I, I, there's not that much to improve upon. Sometimes John Hughes movies can get a little long. They can be a little long winded. They, he doesn't, you know, sometimes he, he, he doesn't know when to edit Uh, in this case, because it's directed by Chris Columbus. I think that's kind of, um, pared down a little bit. So we get a nice little, um, hour and 40 minute jaunt and you know, it works well with all of its disparate parts and one of my favorites, a holiday classic. So that ends our festivist series for 2021. We hope you had a good time enjoying the holiday season with us. 
drinking beers and, you know, enjoying the, the Christmas classics that we've covered, especially Christmas Evil, which I know was one of Martin's favorites from this year. Um, we hope you, you know, if, if you've got nothing better to do on a Christmas Eve than listen to Blood and Black Rum podcast, we have a whole bunch of other Christmas episodes too. So you can uh, return to those. Just search for us on there and we've got a bunch of Festivus episodes that you can you can throw on for Christmas Eve while guests are over. You're drinking eggnog, listening to the sultry sounds of both Martin and I. Now, because we're closing up, we're going to be on episode 199, 200 next. What are we doing? Um, 200, we can kind of keep in the basket, but we have a lot that's out now. Yeah, 199, um, we might want to shoot for um, Spider-Man, which I'm fairly excited for, actually. I think it's going to be a a good movie. I still haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen any real spoilers or anything. So 199 might be Spider-Man. And then, you know, we've got our 200th episode where we we have some some, uh, an idea of what we're going to do for the 200th. And then two let's say we might be doing like back to back episode. I mean, back to back to back instead of two weeks because um, right after our two hundred, if we do Spider Man next week, uh, we're gonna have to roll right into episode two hundred, and then because two hundred one will have to be Scream. True. Yep. So yeah, you might you might get a bunch of episodes from us. Who knows? Can't be can't be once a fortnight anymore with all this. Content that's coming out. I know. Well, we hope you had a great holiday season. Um, hope you enjoy your your Christmas and New Year's and whatever else you're celebrating. Um, thank you for listening to our Festivus series and our our four episodes that we've covered this this year. Um, and we hope to see you back. I think I don't know if our episode will. I think we'll have one right bef- maybe on the New Year. Um, to enjoy before we go into 2022. So, um, you know, stay tuned for, for our episodes, subscribe to us and, uh, leave us a nice review on pretty much any podcasting app you can think of iTunes, Stitcher, Google podcasts, our home base at anchor.fm subscribe to us on there. And we hope you tune in for, for additional episodes. We are on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, blood and black rum podcast. And you can email us at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you want us to cover, what you like, what you don't like. We'll take that into consideration. Uh, Finally, you can donate to us on our Patreon page or on iTunes or um, our anchor.fm page. Whatever you can donate is super helpful. It helps us buy beer for the show and uh, continue on doing the things that we love. So um, whatever you can contribute, we truly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you back for our uh, next episodes that are coming soon, uh, including Spider-Man No Way Home and our 200th episode. So until then, take care. And Happy New Year and Merry Christmas.